This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. I strongly think that one Mark Aflalo should uh, start the podcast when he tells us we have five seconds to uh, say our piece and get started because I uh, was flipping through my screens and I... Watched everybody, like, finally adjust themselves, including myself. It was like, okay, we're doing this now. Uh, but it would be kind of amusing to watch watch us all kind of finally adjust as we appear to do this program and as we appear to you in live and in person. Joining me today is Claire Buchanan and Cam Jenkins. I want to tell you that coming up on today's show, we're going to be releasing our first interview that we did or I did, at the Canadian Paralympic Committee Summit. That is Zach Mandel, who is a wheelchair rugby player, so you're going to get that on today's show. Plus, we're going to be talking about a recent deal that the CBC and the CPC, Canadian Paralympic Committee, reached for the next two Paralympic Games. We're going to dissect the pros and the cons and everything in between. With that, let's get into our headlines for this week. Neutral Zone Headlines. Headlines. So Zach Maddell actually just won uh, MVP at the recent Vancouver Invitational. And now following that tournament, Wheelchair Rugby will hold their selection camp and will have an opportunity to have an open practice both on the 5th and 6th of April. And it will be held at the Richmond Olympic Oval in Richmond, BC, and the open practices will be held from 2 till 4 p.m. Pacific time. So you can go out and, and check out see and see how Team Canada is, is, is uh, forming and, and practicing this year and uh, get some public eyes out onto uh, the national team this year. Canadian tennis star Bianca Andrescu will be out for an indefinite amount of time with two torn ligaments in her left ankle. She took to her social media saying that she would like to return back, but she is taking it day to day and she will be back on the court when all goes well and she hopes it is sooner rather than later. When you see an injury such as this one, it can be jarring. She had said in a previous game that she had won in the Miami Open that she was feeling better than ever and in good spirits and then unfortunately this happened we wish bianca nothing but the best and we can't wait to see her on the courts sometime in the near future canadian men's soccer team recently defeated honduras in a 4-0 final which means they qualify for the Concacaf semi-final which will take place later in june a big congratulations goes out to our very own Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson as they both competed in Champions Day for para-ice hockey. Claire won the gold medal with her team, the Durham Steelhawks, and she scored the winning goal, while Josh Watson participated with his Cruiser Red Dogs, and he was the goaltender of that team. Congratulations to you both, and such a proud, proud thing to be a part of your journey in para-ice hockey. Those are your headlines for this week. 
I thought for today I would choose the chat topic as something that I've noticed with the MLB and one of the more underrated rules is the fact that the managers only get 15 seconds between when the play is over till they get to decide when or if they want to challenge any given play. I believe that this gets rid of the tiki-tac calls where it's like, oh, did his finger release off the bag by a centimeter and therefore he is out? I do not think that this is why the review was created. I think it was for those more obvious and egregious calls. What say both of you regarding this? Cameron, start with you. You know, it's nice they only have a certain amount of time to look at the play because otherwise you could be spending, you know, five minutes on looking at a play on whether or not, you know, uh, you know, the person was out or not. So I'm glad that there is a time limit on it. Uh, however, you want to get the play right at the end of the day. So as long as you get the you know, the play right. And then if the person's out, even if it is a, as you called it, a ticky tack play, I think people just really want to get the call right. Yeah. I think that is across all sports. Uh, I, I mean, you see it in baseball right now on, on, in multiple ways that they're trying to cut down time on, on how long these baseball games are going. And, uh, you can see in other sports, for example, the NHL, uh, if you're going to challenge a call or or want to look at a, at a play that just happened, uh, you're not going to get that much time to make a decision. And it's it's nice that uh, with a game like baseball that right now is stretching anywhere around three hours is is they're they're making sure that they're uh, they're taking their their taking the time to put into detail of, uh, again, making the right play. You have to make sure the right play is being, being called at the end of the day. But, um, yeah, I'm glad they're speeding things up a bit and, and kind of, um, speeding the game up. Yeah. I noticed that too. I think I saw it today on social media that, uh, the average game, I think last year was around three hours and some odd minutes. And right now it's two hours and 30 some odd minutes. So mm-hmm. it seems to be working, especially with the pitch clock to uh, make the game uh, not as long. Yeah. So both of you must have been looking at my computer screen uh, because I posted this a few minutes ago. And through the first four games, uh, the average game in tw- 2022 was three hours, nine minutes. And through the first four games in 2023, it is two hours and 38 minutes. So that definitely takes uh, some time off the clock. The the Blue Jays didn't want to play nice in their first game. It was still over a four-hour game with the pitch clock. I was uh, going on uh, my morning hits and saying, you know, thanks, pitch clock, because you really uh, negated the time there. I still spent four hours watching it, but every other game since has been in that realm. But I I do think overall the, the intent of the rule was not to, you know, uh, get rid of those ticky-tack uh, calls. I do think it was more for the egregious, but I agree with both of you. It is important to get the call right. And so at some point, I do think we're going to see an adjustment made throughout the time. And I think it's something new that's going on. And, and, and they'll tweak it over time and get it right. Because at the end of it all, we just want the right calls to be made on the field. What we want you to do now is get a hold of us on social media. Here's how you can do it. 
And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter chat with Claire Buchanan for the Neutral Zone? Find her at Neutral Zone CB. And there's a swing and a chopper out to second base. Right at Claire, she picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this Oregon interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Recently, I sat down with Zach Mandel, who is a wheelchair rugby player for Canada, and he's from Okotoks, Alberta. And the first question I asked him when we sat down for this conversation was, I understand you were an Uber driver. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Please enjoy the interview. Zach, uh, my understanding is that you were at one point an Uber driver, if not still are. But can you tell us about that? I'm not still uh, currently an Uber driver. However, after I took some time off from rugby in 2016 and I was waiting for my school to start in 2017, I had a lot of free time to kill, still had some bills to pay. And so I thought, uh, why not try driving Uber? I love driving around. Uh, the flexible schedule was, was great. And just chit-chatting with new people, meeting new people, talking to them was a, was a great time. So I quite enjoyed it. And I got a new vehicle now, so I might get back into it here if I've got a little free time in the near future. Coolest person you've driven, most memorable, hit me with. Ooh, there was a few interesting stories. I had a couple of CFL players I would be driving around. Those would be the most notable. Um, Everybody would, I mean, I had a few times where you don't even know the person. And you're almost like an unofficial psychologist where sometimes they'd come in and just vent. (laughs) And I would hear some crazy stories about their day or what they did over the weekend. Because you're somebody that doesn't know them, you'll never see them again, and sometimes they just have to offload. So I, uh, I heard some wild stories over the years, but it was uh, always, uh, always interesting. Was there ever, and obviously you don't need to go into great detail here, but was there ever a moment where you're just like, wow, way too much information on that, and I didn't need to know that? There's a few times people overshared, but I didn't mind because it was entertaining for me. And if they needed somebody to talk to, and I was that ear for them to uh, to talk into, I was I was happy to do it. And for me, it was kind of like being like watching a sitcom, oftentimes, or a soap opera or something, where like just being a part of the drama was was entertaining, if nothing else. And then when you get to the credits point of it, it's like ah, it's over. <laughs> exactly. There was times where they'd be in the middle of a story, and we get to the destination, and I wanted to hear the rest of it, but obviously couldn't keep the meter running, or they had places to be. So. <laughs> Um, let's talk about your uh, wheelchair rugby career. How did it get started for you? So initially going way back, I had my amputations in 2004 due to a staph infection to my fingers and both legs below the knee. And so as soon as possible, uh, sport was a big part of my life before the amputations. And so it only made sense to have sport in my life afterwards. So I started off in sledge hockey as soon as possible. Unfortunately, holding onto a hockey stick without fingers, not the easiest. Holding onto two hockey sticks playing sledge hockey, even more of a challenge. So a lot of duct tape involved there. Um, And so that's when I went on to wheelchair basketball. Played that for a few years. uh, Competed with Team Alberta at two Canada Games in Halifax and Prince George in 2015. 
Um, but I found wheelchair rugby in February of 2011. I'd been recruited. Some athletes that were competing in both basketball and rugby had reached out to me and thought that I might be a good fit. And so went and tried it for the first time, February 2011. Fell in love with the sport immediately. The, the fast pace, the hard-hitting intensity, just everything about it immediately drew me in. And here we are 12 years later. Yeah, it's it's funny how time flies and you just look back and you, wow, I've been doing this. Wheelchair basketball, uh, it's kind of similar. There are some, probably some transferable skills. Have you taken uh, basketball skills into rugby in some form? And if so, what are they? And how would you say they've molded together? Uh, that definitely expedited the learning process. I mean, the chair skills are very similar. The fact that it's a team sport on a basketball court, your spacing, a lot of that is uh, carries over. So there's a lot of skills that, that cross over that way. And so I think that helped with my transition into rugby, where I came in with some of the skill set required to be an athlete in our sport. And so we didn't have to start at the, quite at the basics. So it definitely shortened the learning curve. At the uh, last Paralympic Games, you had an average of uh, 27 tries per game. Tell me about that, and is that when you know that things are going well? Is there a certain number you go, if I hit this today, then I know I'm on the right path? I don't know that I'm too worried about individual stats. I mean, some games you might have to pass more because you're... Uh, you're being double or triple covered and somebody else is open. Other games, people might not be covering you as tightly, so you're the one scoring the tries. But, I mean, it doesn't matter to me if I have one try or I have every try as long as uh, our team's ahead of them on the score sheet at the end of the day and everyone's doing their job. That's all that really matters. I tried this uh, with one of your teammates uh, in a previous interview, and I'm going to try it again with you. Uh, Burning rubber. Whenever I go into a rugby game, I smell the burning rubber. Does that, if I walk into a venue and I smell burning rubber, does it mean something? Are you guys on the right path if we're smelling burning rubber? I think that's the sign of a pretty heated game out there. People are going to be, uh, yeah, it's going to be high intensity, probably hard hitting because sometimes it's not because your wheels are spinning. It's because you're getting hit and you're sliding sideways and you're skidding along the floor to a to release those odors from the tires. Yeah. Yeah, I just think, you know, it's kind of like sweat equity. If you if you smell, then you've obviously worked hard enough to uh, accomplish what you want to. And yeah, nobody wants that, to be in a good-smelling locker room after a game. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's part of... thank you. <laughs> Listen, I know that the Parapan Am Games is of importance to you guys, and this is the next step in the qualification process and as the quadrennial kind of nears its point where either you qualify or you don't how do you not view that as pressure versus motivation hmm there's definitely some pressure there i'd like to not think about that or let it get to me too much but knowing that there's that one spot available uh to secure a position in the Paris Paralympics. Uh, I think some of the guys might feel that, but at the same time, if we don't perform there, there will be a secondary qualifying opportunity. Uh, ideally, we'd like to just get it done right the first time, win that tournament, and then we've got so much more clarity in what our schedule looks like moving forwards to Paris. 
Whereas if we don't win there, then sometimes it's last minute where they decide on uh, where the games are going to be held for that last minute qualifier or when they're going to be. And so in that season, you're trying to peak a lot closer. You're going to have two two major tournaments next year that we'd be peaking for. So we just want to go down to Chile, hopefully uh, punch that ticket to Paris, and then we can sit back and uh, focus on the big tournament. In your mind, you've been on the team for you know 12 years, as you mentioned. What's happening with wheelchair rugby where things are a little unsettling right now? Like, where do you see the room for growth in what's happening within the walls of the team? I think something that we're realizing and starting to prioritize is recruitment and development. Because we certainly aren't the youngest team these days on the international stage. Um, In Canada, we don't have the largest uh, player pool, athlete pool to draw from. And so we're now trying to figure out where we can find new athletes to get involved, how we can find younger athletes so we can start developing them at a younger age and uh, get some more uh, sustainable or longer careers out of them. Does that concern you as a guy who's been on the team for 12 years and you see this, you know, we're moving towards the younger generation? Or does that just give you more motivation to say, no, I want to compete with these young guns and it's going to keep my youth alive uh, for a longer period of time. I don't know that it concerns me, but I definitely agree that if we had some uh, some fresh blood or younger guys up and coming, that it might motivate the, uh, the older veterans on the team as well, knowing that their spot might not be as secure. Not that we're not training hard already. I mean, we're, we're training for each other as is and keeping each other accountable. But I think it would make everybody step up their game up to the next level if we just had a larger pool of athletes fighting for those limited roster spots i think you know the easy answer in sport whether parasport or mainstream when things aren't going well is coaching staff is is, does there need to be a change there can you tell me in your own words why or why not you think that's necessary at the moment? Uh, that is a bit of a touchy topic. We actually just recently made a slight shift to our coaching staff after our world championships. So we haven't really had any, uh, we don't have any data to, to collect so far on how that's going to look moving forward. Uh, we haven't had any tournaments or anything. So I guess only time will tell there. But uh, I think we're heading in the right direction and we're only heading for bigger and better things. Um, one thing that I want to get in here is He's been a teammate of yours for uh, probably a little while. And some news came out uh, a little while ago that Shane Smith is going through some health stuff. What has Shane meant to you personally and to the organization of Canada Rugby and Wheelchair Rugby? Oh, I think everybody just wants the best for Shane. I mean, personally, I've known him since long before either one of us have played rugby. Uh, We grew up together in the War Amps Champs program, and so we go way back. We played basketball against each other before we both played rugby. But at at this point, uh, all all rugby aside, everybody on the team just wants him to get get healthy as soon as possible. We're all thinking of him, thoughts and prayers out to him and the family. And uh, he's, he's still been in touch with the team. He knows that Wheelchair Rugby Canada is a family, and if you ever need somebody to talk to, he can reach out to any one of us, and we'll be there to support him however we can. Do you, do you feel any extra 
I can't think of a different word, but do you feel any extra pressure because you've known Shane for a long time and you've been with him through sport? Do you feel any extra pressure to leave the door even more open because of your relationship? I don't think there's any pressure there. I think he knows that I'm there for him whenever he needs. And like I said, he hasn't been shy to reach out and make a phone call if he's if he's having a tough day, which is gonna happen. Uh, he can he can sit there and if you just want someone to vent to, we'll be there. If you want somebody to distract you and just chit chat and talk about something different to get your mind off things too, I mean, I think we'd all be happy to do that for him. What does he bring to the team that you're going to miss while he goes through this recovery? Oh, Shane is an energy guy. Things are gonna be a little quieter without him around. He's always the loudest one on the bench cheering for us. Or when he's on the court, he's the first one to get fired up when we get a turnover or score a big goal at the end of the quarter. So we're all gonna have to, I think, take that on ourselves to, to up our energy to make up for his absence. Wheelchair rugby games have shorter quarters, which means you're you're putting it all out on the line quicker. What value does the shorter quarters give you that you you wouldn't have if it was longer? And subsequently, do you wish it was longer? I do not wish it was longer. I think an eight-minute rugby quarter is misleading because the clock does stop every time there is a goal or it goes out of bounds or whatever it is. So it usually ends up taking about 15 minutes probably for a quarter and by that point if you've been playing that whole quarter everybody's a little tuckered out and out of breath so it's nice having those couple of minutes to uh, to come off and uh, get some water and recover as quickly as you can and then get back out there for the next eight minutes if i finish my sentence if i could accomplish blank in my career i'd be happy uh if i win a paralympic gold medal in my career i would be very happy have you accomplished your personal goal with today's summit? And if so, what was that goal? Uh, I hope so. I think my goal is always just to spread awareness for parasport. If there's anybody out there that's thinking about trying it, I just urge you to, to not hesitate. If there's a sport nearby, I'm sure you can find a program that would be happy to have you come out and play. Um, that's, that's all it really is, is the more people we can get out and active that are at home with disabilities, I think the better. Uh, whether you want to be a recreational player and just come out and have fun or be the next uh, Canadian Paralympian, I just urge you that if you want to try it, don't be shy. We'd be happy to have you. Is the nickname of wheelchair rugby murder ball, is that misleading? I think it can be an accurate depiction of our sport. Um, I think that name can be a little bit intimidating for some, so we've kind of not steered away from it. It's still used, especially within the uh, wheelchair rugby community, I think. But just as far as growing our sport, we decided to go with wheelchair rugby. And although it's unlike any other kind of rugby, um, the community, is, it still has that, that same feel, I think. That was Zach Mandel, who is a wheelchair rugby athlete from Okotoksa, Alberta. And we sat down at the 2023 Canadian Paralympic Committee Summit. If you like what you heard, please get a hold of us by voicemail. Here's how you can do it. If you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now, 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail! From time to time, rather more often than not, we run out of time on the program, and... 
Last week, that was the case. And one of the topics I wanted to bring up was about our headline and the fact that the Canadian Paralympic Committee and the CBC have come to an agreement for the next two Paralympic Games and they would be the rights holders. I'm talking about Paris 2024 and Italy 2026. Let's talk a little bit more in depth about this. First, let's start with the uh, what we like about this deal. Claire, start with you. I mean, plain and simple that it exists and that it's happening. Um, yes, we don't want to ask for like the bare minimum, but to have a broadcasting company like that wanting to share and 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 broadcast the Paralympic Games um, for the next two cycles, at least, is is amazing. And it's uh, it's good to see the progress from previous Paralympic Games and the the growth and the exposure of the of the games and the athletes, because, I mean, we all know that para athletes train just as hard and and just as committed as the Olympic athletes. And we deserve the same coverage. Yeah, it's great that uh, we're going to have coverage. I'm glad it's going to be on CBC um, with where it's going to be, uh, you know, depending on the hours that they have the Paralympic coverage on, because when they go over to Paris, there's a time difference, um, you know, things like that. I'm, I'm curious about um, to see how that's going to go. Um, but it's, it's great that it's on CBC. Uh, CBC has been a loyal partner of the Canadian Paralympic Committee now. Um, I would say, for at least a few uh, Paralympic cycles. And it seems to be getting uh, more and more coverage. And now online as well. A lot of it you can see on the uh, CBC Sports online. Um, so it's kind of nice that you can watch it in live time now. Uh, because before it used to be just a highlight show. And that's it. So um, they are moving forward. And that's a good thing. Um, and let's hope they keep moving forward and keep getting, you know, a lot more coverage and maybe in prime time. And, um, you know, uh, so so those are the positives of the deal, um, being able, having more coverage on TV than ever before and online um, than ever before as well. So uh, to me, those are the main advantages. When I first started uh, my Paralympic journey, it was in uh, 2008. And uh, there was a 12-hour time difference between uh, Canada and Beijing. And CBC was the right holders then, along with the Canadian Paralympic Committee. And, you know, there was limited coverage. And everybody used the reason of, well, it's a time difference. Well, it's a time difference, you know. And so everyone accepted that, even though I don't think we should have. Um... And they said, well, we promise to be better in in the future. Then when I moved along to 2012, when we were in London, that was the best coverage that I had seen, had heard of, because not only was it on televisions, it was on um the uh, BBC, and they also had their own uh, disability channel, which covered a lot of the games itself. But it was also on in the village, where you could literally pick a channel from each sport, and you could watch 
whatever the live, live stream was for each sport. That was the beginning of what I believe CBC saw there in the village, which didn't necessarily translate into live coverage, but that was the beginning where the CBC thought to themselves, wow, we can actually do this. There are athletes who are watching other sports that they don't really participate in, and all was well. Then when we went into Rio in uh, 2016, that was when we didn't we removed the midnight coverage, only the midnight coverage when, you know, most of the people in the Eastern time zone are sleeping and it, it really didn't matter. That's when we started to see the changeover to the online realm of things. And I think CBC really started to learn a little bit of their lessons and we've, we've gone better and better, but there is still room for improvement. And I know we ha all have a lot to say on the ro room to improvement piece. Uh, let's start with uh, Cameron on the room to improve. What would you say? Um, well, you know, life is all about the almighty dollar. And at the end of the day, they, um, the CPC, CPC, sorry, CBC and CBC sounds a lot similar, um, but CPC, they end up have to get more marketing dollars and get more businesses involved. Um, so therefore they can, uh, put on a bigger, um, you know, on TV and have it more hours throughout the day. Um, and without that corporate sponsorship to be able to, uh, to do that, you know, it's going to be, you know, online and it's going to be probably just a, an hour, uh, highlight show on CBC, um, until they can get more sponsorship money, um, because money talks. Um, if CBC is going to put it on uh, the TV, they're going to need ad sponsors to be able to do it. And right now, there just isn't enough. So somehow, they have to um, get corporate businesses to uh, believe and to um, really enjoy the Paralympic experience. And it's just not there yet. Yeah, you touched on it really well, Brock. Uh, London was like a turning point uh, in terms of the exposure and how the games were covered. Uh, the UK is, has come a long way and I think is further than us uh, right now in terms of how they um, promote and uh, expo like put the exposure towards their athletes is, is they invest in them. They it's on the BBC and it's in prime time and, and they're putting the money into advertisements and and the lead up to and uh getting that excitement going for for Paralympic athletes and and the Paralympic Games and yeah Canada just hasn't scratched that surface yet of like true advertising for Paralympic athletes specifically uh, um yes there are you you see Gatorade commercials with a with a small glimpse of a of a para hockey athlete here and there and um but there's no true advertising that is just focused on para athletes and that's I've, right there is that that's a big gap um to get people excited about the Paralympic Games uh, 
I, I know when I have conversations with people uh, in the able-bodied world that, um, yes, they kind of know that para-sports exist and stuff, but they haven't truly seen high-performance para-athletes compete. And, and that's just because we haven't invested uh, the right amount of money and time and, and resources into getting para-athletes into the media. Um, we do it right here on a weekly basis, trying to get it out there as much as we can. And that's what we try to do here with our show. And it's, it's something that we need to see more of is, is more people having more conversations about um, Paralympic, Paralympic athletes and, and how exciting the games are. And uh, yeah, I think, I mean, London was a true testament of like, it set the bar. And I think we haven't reached that bar yet here in Canada. I think we need to get somebody from the BBC or um, like I know, I think her name is Stephanie Reed. I believe she uh, ended up doing some um, media uh, for the BBC um, to find out like what it is about the UK that it's such a big thing and they're able to put it on prime time and have all of this uh, advertising uh, behind it because some of the advertisements that they've come out with um, has been phenomenal. And I'm trying to remember one of the commercials, uh, but I can't uh, remember it right now off the top of my head, obviously. But um, they've been phenomenal. And in Germany, they have like a packed um, arena or a packed gym watching wheelchair basketball. So what is it about those areas that they're able to do it? But here in Canada, we're not. Well, that's the thing. Like you said, Cam, it's money. They not only sports, but in the UK, people with disabilities are just, uh, they have more resources in the UK. Um, hand controls and catheters and uh, financial support. That's um, through having conversations with people that live in the UK. It's you, you really get uh, a sense of they're just they're putting more support into uh, the disabled community as a whole. Um, yeah, at, and the corporate sponsors are yeah, too. And that's and then, the big thing because corporate sponsors have to do that in order for it to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually also think, and I'm sorry if anyone's listening from Canada and views this as a direct, you know, shot. But I also think there's a different level of belief in the athletes from different parts of the world. We're, we're using UK as the example because we all believe that UK is the leader in this. But I do believe that there is a stronger belief system in what those athletes can do and those athletes can do the same thing that canadian athletes can do they they can they can do it well but the thing is when you're on the ground as i was back in 2012 i realized then in london that those athletes were treated like celebrities those athletes were desired to be spoken to Yes, the CBC was there. Yes, they were. But they picked and chosen what they wanted to cover and how they wanted to cover it because of the dollars we all speak of. Whereas it felt like to me that the BBC and all of that, they desired those athletes to be front and center. And I remember looking at it then and thinking, 
Wow, if we could only get a half of what these guys are getting, we we would be somewhere. Um, my other uh, sort of thought for critiques is the Canadian Paralympic Committee and the CBC need to broaden their sports that they do. We we know that they cover wheelchair basketball. We know that they cover uh, um, goalball from time to time. They need to cover the broad scale of sports because people are going to be drawn to the ones that they know, which is part of the marketing strategy as to why they do what they do. Yes, that's not untrue. But I believe if you gave the the broader scale of the the events this would be better served for you and again do i recognize claire that this is the bottom dollar talking yes because they have to put their money where they believe they're going to get the most bang for their buck but if they broadened out their their showing and the showcase of all the sports rather than pigeonholing one two three four sports that people can connect to that would be a big difference as well oh absolutely i yeah, you turn into the Paralympic Games and you think that there's only four or five sports going on because you're right. We don't get the exposure for uh, the sports that aren't, quote unquote, more popular. And I think I think one of the benefits moving forward with broadcasting and the way that we watch and tune into sports now is that streaming can be a big benefit. A lot of people are moving away from uh, cable and I know for myself, the last two Paralympics, uh, I, I watched them primarily on CBC Gem. Uh, and moving forward, I think that's just how people are going to tune into uh, sports in general, and, and especially the Paralympic and Olympic Games in Canada. It's, it's CBC Gem is going to be a, a big platform that just is going to get bigger and bigger. And so I really hope that they tap into that and like fully tap into what that opens up for them because they can show more sports in prime time. I think without having to have those bigger contracts with say cable companies and they can spread out the money wider and, and kind of invest in, in more in more ways of seeing uh, more coverage of the Paralympic games and not just kind of one little piece of it. Cause that's, what's getting shown right now is, you see the wheelchair basketball tournament and you see the hockey tournaments and like, but you don't see all these other exciting sports that in, in any other format, and you the wouldn't stories see that them. go along with it. Yeah, exactly. And the stories like that's what we are doing right now. And uh, that's kind of what we live and breathe is we love hearing the stories behind the athletes and how they got there. And, uh, and that's changing too. And, and Devin Haroof, exactly, friend of the show. Yeah. He is doing a phenomenal job uh, in regards to Paralympic athletes or Paralympics or just, um, you know, being able to tell those stories. And he's a really good storyteller. So, and you made a great point about CBC Gem. I forgot about that with the Lost Paralympics. Uh, they had different, um, you know, things that you could watch at the same time. So, you could turn on... Um, you know, skiing and shooting, whatever they call that. I'm sorry, I don't remember what it's called. But uh, I remember watching a bit of that on CBC Jump for the uh, Winter Paralympics and uh, some of the other uh, moguls and so on and so forth. So CBC Jump, I think they are really going towards the Paralympics and they are showing, um, you know, different um, 
different um, sports at the end of the day. So I think where I sort of got a little bit disappointed and before I let you guys in, I'm just going to going to put it all out here. I think we saw the 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 announcement. We all went, okay, this is good. But the first question somebody asked me on my Facebook post is, will we get equal coverage? And the answer to that person right now is, in my mind, unequivocally no. I think we're looking for improvement. I don't think it's going to jump from, you know, 15 hours a day to or or, or um, five hours a day to 12 hours a day within uh, one or two games. I do think we're looking for improvement. I think where I got a little bit disappointed, guys, was where it was like, oh, we made this deal, but then there was nothing attached to it. There was nothing like we're going to declare that we're going to do, uh, instead of five hours a day, we're going to do eight we're going to do six. We're going to do seven. I needed more from that press release that I did not get. And I think they could have taken the time, even if they took another six, seven months to put out this deal and they knew that it was being done. I think where it would have had a little more weight to it is if you said, we're going to increase our hours and plain and simple. And this is where we're going to be. Instead of leaving us with questions other than to recognize where we're going to be able to to get the content because I don't think that was a very that was very secretive. I think we knew CBC was going to do it. It was just a matter of how many hours, and that's the big question, Cameron. Yeah, and of course they probably don't want to commit to that uh, number, especially on a press release, because then they end up having to do that number. So um, it probably uh, will come out uh, at some point in time um, because I'm sure CBC wants to really promote it and let people know when they're going to be able to watch it. Um, you know, I hope they have some live events on actual CBC, um, you know, even if it's on a weekend. Um, but like, I think we've all surmised, it's probably going to be the big sports. Um, so for the Summer Olympics, it may be the, you know, the wheelchair racing. Uh, for the Winter Olympics, it's always the Paris hockey. So I, I hope that they yeah. get some other events in there. Um, and I hope that they're able to up the coverage um, because I think a, a lot of people are starting to get interested in it. And um, like I keep saying, it, it all comes back to the corporate sponsorships. Yeah, my big question, I mean, we have two big questions is the what, how many, like how many, what are the hours that we're going to get um, with coverage? Uh, and but my biggest question is why, why not equal? Like what? What are the barriers that we have right now that are restricting them from making those contracts equal? I as far as showing the same amount of hours for the Yeah, like why why are we still in this position of oh okay It's because of the corporate sponsorship. We're not going to get the bare minimum, but we're going to give you just a little bit more of an improvement. But why why can't why can't we make that jump? To, well, you the know what? corporations, they have to pony up just like they do for the Olympics and put in money for the Paralympics. And they're not doing that right now um, because they're putting most of the their advertising dollars uh, towards the Olympics. So uh, in a perfect world, yeah, we'd be seen as equals and you'd have just as much coverage. However, that's not reality. And hopefully it becomes reality 
But until you get the corporate dollars to be able to pay for all of the advertising to be on prime time and during the day, unfortunately, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, why? Closed captioning sponsored by X. <laughs> we're not getting that as much uh, with the Paralympic Games. You know, we're getting two, maybe three as opposed to 12, yeah. 13. I mean, that's that's a, that's a big difference. And even if each individual, and again, I'm just surmising out there, even if each individual gave a million dollars, you're talking about, uh, you know, four or five million uh, versus 12 or 13 million dollars. And you better believe that some of those places are giving more than the million dollars. I was just looking at it more of a, equal number and if there's only you know eight sponsors for for the the, the the paralympics but 13 for the olympics well there there's your discrepancy right there and i and i say it in jest you know closed captioning brought to you by but that is the truth those are the phrases you want to hear and what you want to see and you guys touched on it earlier what you want to see is more faces for a longer period of time none of this None of this, like, oh, there was a pair of ice hockey in the back of that advertisement, we promise. And it is getting better. But we need to see more of the forefront. We're proud of this. We're happy. As opposed to the feeling that I still get left with, we have to do this because we need to show improvement. Well, and as well, you also have to look at it because when a corporation sponsors the Paralympics, uh, they might not put in as many dollars as the Olympics because advertising during, you're going to have a lot more eyes. So the advertising is going to cost a lot more with the Paralympics. Um, that same advertising may not cost as much, but when you look at what they're already putting on TV. So I think on CBC, they have Murdoch mysteries as an example. So what's the advertising dollars that they get for putting on Murdoch mysteries compared to what the advertising dollars they would get from a Paralympics and having that on for a couple of hours. And if Murdoch Mysteries brings in more money or more advertising dollars, they're going to end up putting on Murdoch Mysteries. Well, I mean, we're in this vicious cycle of we're not getting the viewership because no one's watching, but no one's watching because we're not promoting. So in this vicious cycle of uh, something needs to change. And I think like what I was trying to say is, yes, there's more money and more sponsors in the Olympic games, but why aren't these investors going to these companies and saying, Hey, we want to make a change. Are right, Do you want to add equal investment into broadcasting for, or advertising for the Olympics and the Paralympic games? Like why why are companies and investors still having these conversations that only revolve around able bodied athletes? Why isn't that conversation? Well, and it changing? comes down to it comes down to numbers because that's each individual, um, like the Paralympic Committee, each um, country's Paralympic Committee, and if the advertisers say, okay, well, we're only going to have a thousand people um, watch at the Paralympics, but we're going to have three million people watch for the Olympics. That's why they're not doing it because they're like, okay, well, if we put advertising dollars equal and we're only going to have a thousand people watching that the cost or the return on investment just isn't there. Maybe not right away, but the viewership can't grow with, if it's not being shown, uh, we just, we just witnessed that with the NCA, uh, basketball tournament. 
The viewership for the women's tournament was almost triple that of the men's team, the men's pr program uh, tournament. Sorry. And that's just because they're like they're putting more money into showing women's sports and they're realizing there's a big investment that can bring a problem. Well, I think with that, it's also social media where you yes. have um, a lot of women advocating and um, I'll use the word feminism uh, in there as well to be able to um, get more people watching that and men as well. They're like, you know what? The women's game is just as good. So I'm going to watch it as well. And we're just not there with um, the Paralympics yet. Um, but we've got to get, you know, that conversation in shows like this, keep going to be able to get people to realize that it's uh, great to watch the Paralympics and maybe try to get it that way. The, the, the challenge here that I see, which is, which is what Claire is, is getting at, but I also understand where Cameron's coming from too. You cannot tell me that the very first Paralympic Games that they decided to put on television and have 12 hours of coverage, uh, they, you cannot tell me for a second that they actually made money off of those events. I could be stand to be corrected, but I would, I would bet my last dollar that they didn't make as much money as they thought they should have. And so with the Paralympics, I think if you sold it as, look at these stories, look at this, take a chance. If you took the chance, I believe wholeheartedly, unless all of the people in my world, your world, and everybody else is lying to me and saying, if it was more accessible, I would watch it. Claire, is that what I'm pretty sure that's what you're 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 getting at here in in this conversation? Yes, absolutely. Is access access to actually yeah. be able to just watch the sports and uh, Cam, you said it very well that like we need the advocacy, like, and that's what I'm talking about with these companies and these individuals that are coming to businesses and sponsors with an able-bodied mindset. But having those conversations so that they're the way that they approach things, they want to involve disabled athletes in their pitches and their advertising because they realize that there is a value to it. And there is a value. And I, yeah, no, there is a value to it. Um, but most businesses, they think just by the dollar sign. Mm -hmm. So getting that access to it and putting that on TV. Um, most businesses aren't going to do that unless they think a lot of people are going to buy their product um, because of it. Um, so you, it'd be great to have the access, but without those dollars to get the access, like it's a vicious circle. Yeah, no, I realize that it looks like I a... want the CBC to talk to BBC or talk to <laughs> yeah. the UK Parasports to see how they've done it because maybe there's some special potion or elixir or something that you know they've been able to do it that way but they need to be able to you know uh, talk to other countries that it's working and really do a deep dive into it to do research to figure out how we can change it here in canada it takes one simple thing to do are you always gonna get a yes on it no you're not 
what you have to do is you have to go to the organization and simply ask and ask and ask again. I went to the Canadian Paralympic Committee Summit as an athlete. And I went as a broadcaster, which now over the next number of months, you're going to get the opportunity to see those interviews. I went to AMI and I said, hey, I'd like to do this to uh, put the great content on um, the Neutral Zone and other platforms down the line. And they took a flyer on us as the show and they said, oh, sure, let's do this. And I believe as I'm, you know, tipping my own you know, cap here, I believe in the end, they're going to be very happy with what comes out of it. And it's all about taking that chance and saying, can you do this? Do you want to do this? And that's where it begins. Quick final thoughts uh, from both of you, starting with Cameron and finishing with Claire. Yeah, I really hope, uh, like we've moved forward with this um, a lot further than we've ever been before and it's just going to keep moving further as well so i think we're going to get to a point where it's going to be on uh, tv or it's going to be on um you know cbc whether it's gem or regular cbc and we're going to get more coverage um it's just going to take some more time and to keep advocating and to keep asking businesses and eventually it will happen a lot of great things both in sport and outside of sport have come from taking a chance and doing something that you've never done before. And I think now is the time. I know we have a contract now for the next two Paralympic cycles, but there's still, I think there's still room that they can maybe take those chances and take those quote unquote risks that might turn into something really great. And I think London showed that when you take a risk and take a chance on on something like the Paralympic Games and the Paralympic athletes, it's I, you're going to get rewarded at the end of the day. You have to walk bef- before you run. And I think we are walking, we're just not running yet at this moment in time. And sometimes you got to take yourself out of the comfort zone that you're in to see success. Because I know for this program, we have been out of our comfort zone many, many times, and we are still here. And we were recently declared the best Parasports podcast, and that's due to hard work and belief in what we've done as a show and as an organization as a whole. So just take the risk. I promise it will work out. That is the end of our show for this week. I'd like to thank... Claire Buchanan, Cam Jenkins. I'd also like to thank Marco Flalo, who is our technical producer, and Ryan Delahanty is our podcast coordinator. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. 